when I was a young fella, uh, our home church, my home church back at Gundawindi, we, we did a bit of a Bible study and it was a bit of an introduction to Christianity. I, I can't remember which one it was. It was a fair while ago. It was something like Alpha or Christianity Explained. It was one of those sorts of things. Anyway, included in it was a fair bit of reading from the Gospels, um, which is a good thing when you're wanting to find out about Jesus because that's where we, we get to hear what Jesus said, taught and did. But then we'd come back together again the next week and we'd talk about what we'd read and, and we'd ask questions about it. Now, I remember one particular night there was a high school science teacher and his wife there and they'd been part of our church for a while and they'd actually been leaders in the youth group. Um, but he said, what's the go with all these demons? I mean, it seems like there must have been an epidemic of demons back then. What's that all about? And because, of course, in the Gospels, we, we hear a fair bit about the demons. They recognise who Jesus is and Jesus and his disciples. That's part of their ministry is casting demons out of people. And um, so the others at the Bible study explained to him that, that demons are angels who have rebelled against God, that, that Satan is the chief demon and the other demons are his underlings. But I sensed that as they were explaining this, that, that he and his wife, they, they were just certainly not accepting what was being said. And over the next few weeks and months, they became less and less regular at church. And eventually, my recollection is that they dropped off almost completely. And I always felt that it all stemmed back to that one night. It seemed like the whole spiritual reality of good versus evil, light versus darkness, Satan against God, angels and demons, it seemed like this was something that they'd never considered and that their scientific way of thinking had just dismissed it all out of hand as a whole load of nonsense. And any suggestion that the spiritual battle is actually a very real battle and that the spiritual realm actually does exist was something that they just couldn't comprehend and didn't want to have any part in. And there are many people in churches today who will believe in a personal God, but they won't believe in a personal devil. And Satan's biggest trick, his most effective strategy, is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. Now, I'm going to be really blunt. Um, that's something I'm very good at, being blunt, and my wife hates it. Um, but I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm just going to say, you cannot be a Bible-believing Christian and not believe in the existence of personal evil beings, demons. Jesus believed in demons. And Jesus was not deluded, I can assure you of that. In December and January, uh, we were working our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians and, and as we did so, we did a little bit of a sub-series on the spiritual battle and spiritual armour. And Ephesians chapter 6 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, um, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Um, and if you're wanting to have a bit of a refresher on the spiritual armour and the spiritual battle, then we've still got on our website those messages back then, bushdisciples.church, um, and you can find it either in written or, or the audio. And in today's reading, Paul and Silas enter right into this spiritual battle in a very real way. The Bible reading said, reading from verse 16, As we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. 
Now, in the original Greek, it literally says that she had a spirit of python, a snake spirit. And what that's alluding to is their pagan belief in in Greek mythology that she was inspired by a snake spirit, like a previous oracle from Delphi. What did this so-called snake god enable her to do? Well, it enabled her to make a great deal of money for her lords, for her owners, for her slave masters. And she did it by prophesying the future, what, what today we might call fortune telling. So she was said to be inspired by a snake god, but Paul knew better because Paul knows there is only one God, Yahweh, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul explains to the Corinthians that that when pagans are sacrificing to their gods, they're not sacrificing to gods at all. They're sacrificing to demons. And now, this should sort of settle it for us. You know, a lot of folks sort of have this notion that it doesn't matter what God you believe in, we all worship the same God. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. Because what we find very clearly is any other God other than the Lord our God isn't a God at all. It's a demon. And so when people say it doesn't matter, if you, for here I guess a topic would be indigenous spirituality. I know some people would teach that an indigenous spirituality is still worshipping the same God. No, it's not. Um, the snake spirit itself could be a bit of a hint about that. And so Paul could see that this girl was not being inspired by a God. She's being inspired by a demon. And, and that's scary stuff. But it was big business. And we're actually going to see this as we continue on in Acts. When people start turning to Christ, the children of the devil lose business. Their their businesses take a bit of a pounding. So in Acts, there were plenty of people spending big bucks on, on idols and fortune tellers and sacrifices and whatnot. And maybe some of you might be feeling right now, well, thank goodness we don't have those sorts of problems around today. But you know what? We do. We do. We're living in an age of renewed interest in the occult. The word occult is used to describe spiritual, mystical, supernatural or magical powers, practices or phenomenon. And a lot of people think a lot of this stuff is all very harmless, but it's not. It's getting bound up in the work of demons. And in our day today, we are seeing a renewed interest and a renewed fixation on occultic practices. So, for instance, the growth of the New Age movement. Um, sort of see on TV when they're trying to portray that somebody is a real, a real somebody who's really known. Who will they have a photo of? There will be a photo of them beside the US president and then there will be a photo of them beside Dalai Lama. Okay? Everybody knows who Dalai Lama is. Um, I had a bit of a look on the internet. Apparently it'll only cost you $20 to to get in the gate of the Mind Body Spirit Festival in Sydney where they have over 200 exhibitors and more than 40 talented psychic readers. Or you can go to the Australian Psychic Expo which runs for 11 days in Toowoomba and 5 days in Warwick. 
Or you can get somebody to do some water divining for you before you put your next bore down. Organic farmers are being profoundly influenced, a lot of them, by what's called biodynamic holistic farming principles. Has anyone ever heard of biodynamic farming? It's becoming very popular, particularly amongst organic pharmacists. And it's basically occultic practices for growing crops, transmitting good vibes to your crop via a cosmic pipe or producing a secret cow horn fertiliser by burying a cow horn on a full moon which has been stuffed with manure, digging it up a few months later. Um, in fact, a while ago, I was um, looking for a supply of non-alcoholic wine, for our, still wine, for our communion here. And I, I was finding it hard to find because we used to just buy it from Toowoomba. There was a shop that did it and I don't think they exist anymore. And so I started looking online and I actually realised the wine that we'd been using, one of their big things is we use biodynamic farming principles. And I thought, oh man, and I've been using that for communion. Dope. And so I started looking around. And I, was find, I actually found it very hard to find a supply of non-alcoholic wine which was not produced using biodynamic farming principles, which is full-on occultic practices. I did a quick search on the internet apps, sorry, on the Apple App Store. I typed in the word astrology and it gave me 1,228 apps to choose from, varying from astrology to horoscope to tarot card apps. There's an enormous market out there. Then, of course, we see a growth in, in mystical Eastern alternative therapies, uh, such as Reiki or faith healing, and then we've got other ones like iridology. Uh, and then there's things like crystals and amber. You go to any... Um, There's certain regions you'll stumble across these crystal shops. It's big business. As we become a people who are more and more fixated on ourselves, more and more people are turning to this sort of stuff. And it is big business. And even today, when revival comes to a community, if people are being taught what it means to repent, to to turn from the practice of sin and to turn to following Christ, these industries will suffer, along with the drug industry, the grog industry, the sex trade, they all suffer. And my advice is, don't get mixed up in anything to do with the occult. We need to be aware and be discerning of the things that we get involved in. We need to ask ourselves a question, well, if this is something that's supposed to work, and the scientists are saying there's absolutely no scientific reason why it should work, but the evidence is it is working, we need to start asking ourselves the question, well, by what power is this working? And often we'll find that these are powers not from God but from demons because just as there are miracles of God, there are false miracles of Satan. Anyway, this slave girl with a demon followed after them for days Constantly crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way to salvation. Which is actually true, isn't it? They were servants of the Most High God. They were proclaiming the way to salvation. But after a few days of her constant disruptive behaviour, shrieking this out, Paul was really annoyed and he turned to her and he said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it did. It came out that very hour. 
See, as a Christian, you don't need to be afraid of demons. The name of Jesus Christ, that name which we love, that name which we cherish, that name which we carry, that name which we worship, is the name by which demons flee. And if you ever feel that you've encountered something demonic or somebody even possessed by a demon, you don't have to be afraid of that. Because Christ who is in you is stronger than any demon. And you can, you can have the assurance that you can use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as your defence. But why did he cast this demon out? I mean, she didn't ask him to. And, and it was actually telling the truth. Surely, surely it would have been a promotion for their cause. That, you know, and just another witness. Yes, we are the servants of the Most High God. And yes, we, we are telling you the way to be saved. Why did they drive it out? Well, I think there's probably three reasons. Firstly, it was the source of the knowledge. God can testify for himself. He doesn't need Satan to do it. Secondly, it was the way that this slave girl was doing it. She's calling out and disrupting what they are trying to do and say. And thirdly, whilst it was the truth, it wasn't the whole truth. The people at Philippi, they worshipped a multitude of gods. Now, this evil spirit was calling out that they, that they, about this most high God as if it was just another God that they had to add to their list. One time I got to share the good news of Jesus with, with an Indian lass. She was actually a Fijian Indian. She was a Hindu. And I'd actually been forewarned that, that Hindus are often quite willing to believe in Jesus and they're actually quite easy to get to believe in Jesus. Um, but they do so by setting him up alongside all of their other gods. They, 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 they'll just add Jesus to another god. Because when I actually talked, and I actually found that to be the case, I said, so, um, so do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, my mum taught me about Jesus, and she taught me about and listed a whole heap of others. And yes, we worship Jesus, we pray to Jesus. Sometimes we pray to him, sometimes we pray to this one, sometimes we pray to that one. And the thing is, I had to give the whole message. She didn't just have to believe in Jesus. To be born again, to become a Christian, she had to renounce all of those other gods. You have to turn from those gods and turn to Christ and to Christ alone. The demon wasn't giving them the full message. It was true, but it was an incomplete truth. And a half-truth or an incomplete truth is, is actually more dangerous than a lie. Why? Because you can very easily recognise a lie. But it's much harder to recognise a half-truth because a half-truth slips under the radar. It sounds very reasonable and many people will be deceived by it. But a few people with a gift of discernment will get the feeling, well, this all sounds very reasonable. There's something not quite right about it. There's something missing. It's an incomplete truth. Anyway, once this demon's been cast out, the girl couldn't prophesy anymore, which left her owners in a bit of a predicament because they were more concerned about their, their paycheck than about her welfare, weren't they? They were after their profit margins and their means of making money had suddenly dried up. So, 
they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace and to the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews and they're disrupting our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to practice. What they're saying is Christianity is very un-Roman. They're disrupting everything. Why was it very un-Roman? I think probably the key thing here was intolerance. And it's the same for us in Australia. Christianity is very un-Australian. Tolerance is held up as the virtue that trumps all other virtues. We're taught to live and let live. You can believe what you want to believe, but don't let your belief impact on me or what I believe. Tolerance. And yet, you know, biblically, tolerance is never put forward as a virtue, ever. Christianity can be very un-Australian. So when you're next faced with the choice and you see that your Australianism is contrary to your Christianity, which are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to be Australian or are you going to choose to be Christian? Anyway, Paul and Silas were attacked by the crowd. They're beaten with rods. They're thrown into the jailer, jail. The jailer is charged, don't you dare let them get away. And so he put them in the inner prison. All right? That means that there's locked doors behind locked doors. They wanted to make sure that they didn't get out. And just for added measure, they put them in the stocks as well. Now, why the big hoo-ha? Don't, don't, don't let them get away when the very next day they, they're going to let them go anyway. It was a minor offence. It was never like it was going to go to a higher court. They'd already been beaten. They'd already been thrown in jail. But why the big hoo-ha? Well, I think it was actually that the magistrates were flexing their muscles. That They're showing these outsiders, these foreigners, these Christians, who's got the power. We Romans, we've got the power. But of course, we know better, don't we? Who's got the power? God's got the power. God will not be mocked. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Then the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Miracle after miracle after miracle. Beaten, bound, in stocks, locked away in a cold, dark jail. And what do the disciples of Jesus do? They pray and they sing hymns to God. That's the first miracle. Second miracle, the other prisoners listened. Has anyone here ever been in a jail? He's in Bogger Road for a while? Yeah. <laughs> it was shut before I got there. <laughs> building. 
I've been into two prisons. I, I got to go along with, with a prison chaplain in, into two different prisons. And I can tell you, most people in there, well, they're in there for a reason. And there's not that many savoury characters in prison. And they'll tell you to shut up quick smart if they don't like what you're doing. Now, I don't think there'd be too many prisoners that would put up with these happy, clappy Christians singing praises and, and praying all night long when they're trying to get to sleep. I reckon that's the second miracle. Miracle number three. One commentary I says, I read says, the earthquake was powerful enough to loosen all the chains and burst open all the doors, but not powerful enough for the roof to cave in and kill everyone. And I read that and I thought, this fellow's got no idea. He's obviously got no idea about building principles or engineering principles or anything about that. Because I can tell you that in an ancient building, it will completely collapse long before individual fixings will pop out of stones just through a bit of a rumble of the shaking of the ground. This was a miracle of God that this earthquake didn't make the building collapse. It was a miracle of God that every single Every single door burst open and every single chain was pulled out of the wall. Miracle number four. All the doors were opened, everyone's bonds were unfastened and nobody left. They all stayed there. Miracle number five, salvation. The jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's brief answer was, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. But there's a lot in that statement that needs unpacking. Like what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? What does it mean for the jailer to believe in the Lord Jesus? And so we're told that they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Now we probably don't pick it up in the English, but the word Lord keeps coming up through this entire story and it should help us to understand what it means for Jesus to be Lord. It's all to do with the the master-slave relationship. So the owners of the slave girl were her kurios. That's the Greek word for Lord. The masters of the slave girl were her lords. She was the slave. They were the lords. Paul and Silas were in our Bibles called servants. But the word in the Greek was actually doulos, which means slaves. Paul and Silas were slaves of the Most High God. After the earthquake, the jailer addresses Paul and Silas as, our Bibles say, sirs. But once again in the Greek, the word is lords. So he's falling on his knees before these fellows. Lords, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas, well, essentially what they do is they direct him away from themselves because they're not lords, they're slaves. They're slaves to Christ who is the real Lord. And so they said, you believe in the, in the real Lord. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus wasn't enough. And, and so they spoke the word of the Lord to them. They repented. That's what we see. We actually see acts of repentance. They, they took them in. They washed their wounds. They brought them into the house. They fed them. And he and his family were baptised. And get this. We're told that they believed in the Lord Jesus 
but they rejoiced because they believed in God. So it's bringing this all together because the Lord Jesus and God are one and the same. And the story ends beautifully. Remember the magistrates who are flexing their muscles by bringing them up? Well, in the end, these magistrates are humiliated. The jail's been busted up. The prisoners are set free, but they're still there. And they're not going to leave until the magistrates come, make an apology and personally escort them out of prison. Because God will not be mocked. You know, back in Acts chapter 9, that's when, um, I guess, Paul was in the process of becoming a Christian. Says, The Lord said, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul did suffer. Even there he has suffered. We've seen it already when he was stoned. Um, he's threatened with stoning another time, stoned another time. This time is beaten with rods and locked up in prison. Paul did suffer. Jesus is Lord. He's the master. Jesus was the master of Paul. Paul is the obedient slave. And Paul and Silas did suffer. And in their suffering, Jesus was glorified as Lord. He was proclaimed as Lord. And Jesus became the saviour to those who received him as Lord. Now, we're not actually told what become of the slave girl. You know, there's sometimes we're, we're, the story's just left hem, hem, uh, hanging and, and I, just, I just love to know what happened. What was the outcome of that? We're not told. She was set free from the demon that had oppressed her, but we're not told whether she bowed a knee to the Lord and whether she believed in the Lord Jesus to be saved. We don't know what become of her. Acts focuses on the jailer and his family. They did repent. They did believe in the Lord. And there was much rejoicing. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? I'm not asking if you just believe in Jesus because demons believe in Jesus. They believe Jesus. I'm not asking if you just believe that Jesus died for your sins because demons know that Jesus died for your sins. I'm not asking you if you trust that Jesus has forgiven your sins. What I'm asking is have you bowed your knee? Do you bow your knee daily to Jesus as Lord? Have you given him all that you are for all that he is?